Hello everyone, I'm Dana Stewart Bullock and this is Transformational Therapeutics, the language of healing. After listening to last week's episode, number 43, on the gut, I noticed how comprehensive it was and so today I thought I would do a deep dive on a specific area of the gut. So welcome. Hi everybody, this is Dana and today we're going to talk about the gut again. This will be gut level two. And the reason I'm doing this is because I re-listened to gut one and I realized that there was an inordinate amount of information in it. So I wanted to simplify what is really a complex subject. And so I thought we'd go into it Not more superficially today, but we'll review some things and then continue on. The gut we could talk about for weeks. So this particular episode is going to be on the gut and the whole digestive system. Sounds great. I'd like to start with talking about the connection between the brain and the gut. And one of the books I've been reading, the author talked about a shared biological language. And I just love that term because this whole model is about language guts and gut microbes talk to our brains and they share that biological language. So we'll go further into that. Mm. So a shared biological language between the gut and the brain. That sounds very intriguing. Well, last time we talked about the three major components of the gut that were so important was the immune system, the massive amount of endocrine cells, and the serotonin system in the gut. So those three systems are really impactful, and they all communicate with our brains in that shared biological language. And each one has a different language. The endocrine system uses hormones. Serotonin system uses serotonin. And the immune system uses immune cells and language. So it's sort of like you would call different dialects that are communicating between the gut and the brain. Mm, How cool. That's how I see it. Yeah, I love that perspective. The gut itself is a major information gathering system. So there are cellular sensors that encode the sensation in our guts, take in information and send that information to the brain. Mm. And to the other systems we had talked about last time, which was the autonomic nervous system, the enteric nervous system, which is the system in the gut, and aspects of it that are totally separate from the brain and independent of any other aspect in our body. That was the important thing last time, was the enteric nervous system. So the sensors in our gut collect information and convey it to the nervous system, our brains, to the immune system, and to the endocrine system. And so there are feedback loops there. The fact that they're there allows them to listen to the brain as the brain signals the gut about how stressed you are or when you feel happy or anxious or angry, even if you're not fully aware of these emotional states. So the gut has a huge emotional connection that's really vital and important. And from an evolutionary standpoint, it makes sense just that it's such an important part of us, keeps us alive, and needs to be able to function on its own without our interference, interfering, but also monitoring it all the time. Mm. If you had to think about everything that your gut was doing, you'd have no thought for anything else. Sure. So it's important that it be automatic and functioning healthily as we go through life. Right. So we have, as I talked about last time, the 
millions and trillions of microbes in the gut. I remember last time I said that only 10% of the cells in it are actually human cells, the rest are microbes. And that's something to take in. And they're finding recently that many diseases that we thought were diseases of the brain actually begin in the gut itself. And they begin as a change in the gut microbiome, the microbes that are in our gut. It was seen that as autism spectrum diseases rose, so did other diseases linked to changes in our microbiome in the gut, including autoimmune diseases and metabolic disorders. And so these new epidemics of autism and autoimmune and metabolic disorders, a metabolic disorder would be something like diabetes or that sort of thing, have changed, the incidence of them has changed over the last 50 years, as has our gut microbiome. So they started looking at it as connected somehow and perhaps causal. And the other thing that's on the rise are neurodegenerative diseases. It turns out in recent research that nervous system in the gut, the enteric nervous system, undergoes the degeneration typical of Parkinson's disease long before it shows up in the brain Mm. and long before the classical symptoms appear. And the changes in the person's gut microbiome accompany this disease. And we talked last time about serotonin. So the gut microbiome is also linked to depression, which is apparently the second leading cause of disability in the United States. Mm. And last week I talked about SSRIs, which are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And they include Prozac, Paxil, and Celexa. Those are the antidepressants. And they're supposed to be boosting the activity of the serotonin signaling system. For years, psychiatry thought that was all in the brain. But 95% of the body's serotonin is actually contained in the gut. So those cells that are specialized for serotonin production or containment are influenced by what we eat. We talked about this last time by the chemicals released by not only by the microbes, but the chemicals in our foods. They're influenced by the signals the brain sends them. And those signals have a lot to do with our emotional state. So there's a constant monitoring and releasing and regulation happening in our guts beneath our awareness. And the health of that system has an impact on the rest of our entire system. Mm. And I'm pretty sure I said this last time that Hippocrates 3,000 years ago said all disease begins in the gut. Mm. And we're starting to realize how true that is. The other thing that I found fascinating is the vagus nerve, which is one of the cranial nerves that comes out of the head and innervates much of the viscera, including the gut, that 80% of the signals in the vagus nerve are signals from the gut that go back to the brain. It's not so much that the signals come out of the brain from the vagus nerve into the gut telling the gut what to do. It's much more that the vagus nerve feeds back to the brain telling your brain what kind of state your gut is in. Mm. And the vagus nerve is responsible for the autonomic nervous system? It's one of the nerves. It's a parasympathetic nerve. It's very important for rest and digest. Right. Yeah. So that it makes sense that it's so connected to the gut. Yes. And what for me, what was remarkable is how much of it is really just feeding information back to the brain. Right. Because so many nerves that come out of the brain are sending signals to the tissues that they end up in. Mm. But this is 80% receiving signals from the gut going back and telling the brain what's going on. Right. So the brain-gut axis itself 
is the connection between the cells in the gut and the sensory nerves and the signals that go back to the brain. And we did a whole podcast and we talked about Candace Pert and the psyche and the mind-body connection and the peptides and how the peptides, which are chemicals, proteins that signal. This is another feedback loop. The brain acts on another level Mm. of feedback loops. So there are multiple levels of feedback loops within our entire system. There's so much variety of language and yet it's all connecting different aspects of ourselves that are so important. Just so you know, as as a listener, if you're interested in going back and listening to those episodes, if you have not yet, it is episode number 22, Psyche, and episode number 23, Psyche, part two. Thank you, Rebecca. And those are the ones where I've talked at length about Candace Pert mm. and her discovery of endorphins and peptides and communication systems within the body. Right. So if you're finding this subject fascinating and you have not checked those episodes out yet, we highly recommend you do. So the reason that I'm talking about this, because for me, the import that it has on our emotions is really important Mm -hmm. and its impact and the connection between the emotions and the gut is so profound. As I look at our culture these days and I see the dysfunction and the numbers of people who get in trouble with their guts and digestion and that sort of thing, I'm trying to educate people on the impact their gut has on their entire system Mm. because it's really fundamental and understanding that what you eat and how you feel has a huge impact on your gut and vice versa. Yes. And so I'm going to go into the whole mind, body, gut, brain, emotional connection as we move forward in this. I think that is going to be so helpful for everyone, especially in today's day and age where so many people are having gut issues, chronic gut pain, difficulty digesting, all of that kind of thing. And I think we take it for granted that what we eat and how we feel affects the rest of our body. So I'm looking forward to this. Thank you, Rebecca. So we now know that the brain regions involved in emotional regulation are dependent on the microbes in your gut. Can you say that again in layman's terms? The areas of your brain that are involved in regulating your emotions depend on the actual microbes in your gut, the actual bugs in your gut, have a huge impact on your emotional state. Okay. And what has an impact on those microbes is what we take in, in terms of nourishment, and also our levels of stress. And I'm going to go deeper into that and really talk about the definition of stress and how it manifests in our gut. Hmm. First, I wanted to talk about what microbes do. What the microbes do, and I'm going to call them bugs, because that's interchangeable in my mind. Microbes turn food into metabolites. So metabolism, by definition, is the chemical processes that occur within a living organism in order to maintain life. Mm. So we're talking about really fundamental things here. And the word metabolism comes from the Greek, which means to change. So you take in food and your digestive system changes it into something that is able to be absorbed and to keep you alive. That's the basic science of it. It's interesting that your gut microbes depend on the food you eat, and they're more or less programmed during the first few years of your life. Mm, So that means that your diet during your first few years of your life will dictate? Yes, it has a huge impact on the microbiome in the gut. Mm. And the digestive system 
I mean, it is so primal. It's like the tube around which everything develops. And it is influenced so massively by what kind of nourishment is put into it. So just a fact is that your gut mirrors every emotion that arises in your brain. Whether you're conscious of the emotion or not. Absolutely. And I'm going to talk about stress. And this may get a little complicated, but it's really important as a precursor for understanding what's happening in your gut. So when your brain perceives a threat, it signals an area of your brain that releases a stress hormone called corticotropin releasing factor. And it sends you into a stress mode. So we've heard people say, I'm so stressed out. I'm this or that. It's so stressful. I want you to understand. I want the audience to understand what that actually means in terms of your gut. So when that hormone is released, that stress hormone is released from your brain, when the levels rise high enough, that actual hormone, the corticotropin releasing factor, switches every organ and cell in your body, including the gut, into stress mode. And when the gut is in stress mode, that impacts the composition and activity of the microbiome of your gut. So that's a fundamental understanding that stress immediately influences all the organs in your body, but especially your gut. Right. And then it changes the actual microbes in there. Which then coming back to how you described, can you just, well, with this information, can you describe what the microbiome does in relation to metabolism again? Well, the microbiome, the microbes sort of eat up the food that we ingest and make the food available to the cells in our body. Mm. Those microbes are really important for that. So anything that impacts them changes the nutritional absorption of whatever we eat. Right. So you could theoretically be eating a clean diet, eating everything quote unquote right. But if you're stressed out, if your body is constantly getting stress signals. We usually talk about stress from daily living and pressures in our environment and that sort of thing or trauma or natural disasters. But your brain also perceives many bodily events as stressful. Mm. So if you have an infection, that's interpreted as a stress, a surgery as a stress, an accident, a food poisoning, sleep deficit. Your body, your brain interprets that as a stress and releases those hormones in reaction to it. Like an attempt to stop smoking is a stressful event. Your brain doesn't think about it. It just sees it as stress and releases those hormones, which then affect your gut. Even something as natural as a woman's menstrual period can be seen by the body as a stress. Mm. And the brain will react to that as a stressful incident. So if the brain decides there's a threat, it activates the stress program, including the GI tract. So you automatically have a release of that CRF protein if the brain sees something as a threat. And that influences your gut and all your visceral organs. And in this day and age, if we just look around us at the stresses we all are immersed in, I mean, just the way that our computers are programmed to set up feedback loops in our brain that can then be seen as stressful. So we're constantly under threat on some level. And that's just in that arena. Think about what's happening outside in the world. There are, there are all kinds of threats, massive threats or stresses. For instance, COVID and the reaction to it, financial stresses, economic stresses, you know, having children, having a family, all of these are stresses. 
depending on how your stress threshold has been primed. If you have had early trauma or something like that, you will have a much lower threshold for stress and be much more likely to respond with a hyperactive response than if you had an easier time early on. Mm. I want to highlight what you had said that stress is when the brain perceives something as a threat. So meaning there could be a, a clown and I could be afraid of clowns. So my brain could perceive that as a threat, whereas you might be entertained by clowns and you wouldn't go into a state of stress necessarily if a clown is there versus I would, right? Exactly. So in the same thing with all of those examples, some people may be perceiving every little thing throughout their day, including an email, a text, a message, a news anchor as a stressor, whereas someone else may have less or different or whatever. It's not the thing that is the stress. It's our, our perception of it. Exactly. And, and that's why I have over all this time with all these podcasts talked about perception. Yes. Because perception is such a powerful sense. Absolutely. And it so influences everything. It does. And it's one of the, in my opinion, one of the reasons why this model is so powerful because it gives you power back. Because when we believe that it's those things outside of ourselves that are the stress, then we have to change them in order to be less stressed. But if it's our perception, then we have some power to alter our perception if we choose to, that becomes within our own power. Exactly. So then we don't necessarily have to get stressed out over every little thing that used to if we decide to go down that path, right? Yes. And so even if you're perfectly healthy and relaxing on a beach, that hormone from the brain, the corticotropin releasing factor, actually is generally regulating the amount of cortisol, which is a stress hormone. So it's generally regulating that And cortisol is produced by your adrenal glands. So your normal cortisol levels fluctuate throughout the day. And cortisol, which is a hormone from your adrenals that is stimulated by the CRF hormone in your brain, cortisol maintains proper fat, protein, and carbohydrate metabolism and helps keep the immune system in check. Mm -hmm. So this is just, again, the language that these different systems have with each other. So that if those levels are affected, then that also affects the way you break down protein, fat, and carbohydrates? Because of how it influences the gut microbiome. Right. Yeah. And the way that it does that, and the cortisol itself, with your adrenal glands start pumping out cortisol in reaction to stress, it increases its level in the blood because it's preparing the body for some increased metabolic demand so that your metabolites, what your cells need in order to respond to a threat, are then stimulated. Mm. Interestingly enough, that corticotropin releasing factor that comes from your brain and tells your adrenals to release cortisol is released during stress. It also spreads to the amygdala, and the amygdala is a very primitive area of our brain And it triggers a feeling of anxiety or fear. And so this can then be in the body, seen as palpitations, sweaty palms, the urge to eliminate from your GI tract, because that would be this fight or flight reaction that would happen because of the release of cortisol, because of the pre-existing stress that caused the cortisol to be released. Mm. When I was reading all of this, I thought, oh, this is really interesting, because when we talk about emotional eating... People use food to calm themselves. Mm -hmm. 
But that is not what the GI tract and the stress reaction is actually supposed to be stimulating. So what happens when you use food to calm yourself is you set up a feedback loop and a a habit. It's actually a habit that when you're stressed, A, your gut microbiome doesn't work normally, and then you put food in there to be digested. So it's a double whammy. Yes. And so you're increasing the actual dysfunction that's already in there. Right. And physiologically injuring the gut and feeding a dysfunction. I mean, you're literally feeding, but you're also psychologically feeding your dysfunction and keeping it going. So you actually become, I believe, you become habituated. So it's almost like you become addicted to that cycle without understanding it because it's not in your conscious awareness that you're stressed. That actual stress and the cortisol levels cause your gut to not function normally. It actually injures on some level your gut microbiome And then you feed that gut microbiome when it can't really function normally. And that loop goes on. And so you're actually addicted to maintaining a gut that's not working. Mm -hmm. Right. And when your gut is getting the signals of stress, it's saying that basically energy should be put elsewhere like the the digestion isn't a priority exactly right now. fight right. or flight is the priority exactly because so. that's a really <clears throat> old system in the brain from when we were very primitive right and all mammals all animals have that mm-hmm. and and respond to it it's life or death right just thinking about saying it again in a different way that when the gut gets the signal from the stressors or from the chemicals it's saying we don't need energy in this system. And then when we stress eat or emotional eat, we put probably overeat in that moment as well. Like I'm going to have extra food and then overload the system that doesn't have enough energy to actually do anything with it. So then, of course, we're going to develop chronic gut problems. We're going to develop chronic digestive issues. And that's just one mechanism that has nothing to do with with the poisons that are in our food, the pesticides, that sort of thing, the kind of food that we're eating. I mean, that's a whole another aspect of it. But the fundamental thing about emotional, quote unquote, eating is you're actually injuring your gut every time you do that. Yeah. I think what happens, and I know personally it's happened, I'm habituating my gut to not being able to digest. Exactly. Well, and also I'd love to point this out too, because so many of us, in today's day and age, are walking around in chronic stress, even though they don't realize it. And so maybe they, maybe someone might not necessarily think that they emotionally eat all of the time consciously, but every time you're eating, if you are in this stressed state because you were just looking at the news or your email or something came in and you're just eating your lunch, the still the same thing is happening, right? Right. And this is a quote from Emeryn Mayer. Next time you're in the midst of a particularly stressful day, just remember you might not want to eat a large lunch. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And not only that, I, I see people on the street eating while mm-hmm. they're walking. Yeah. And according to a, a naturopath that I know, she said that different enzymes are released when you're standing and walking than when you're sitting at a table. Right. And you can also be stressed by... I mean, you could be sitting at a table with your husband and having a big argument. What will happen or what can happen then is not only will that affect your gut 
and the microbiome. But the next time you come back to that restaurant, the memory of that difficulty that you had may also cause you a stress. So it's an associative learning. Mm -hmm. And so then you're eating in a stressed way because of something, some incident that happened in that same arena at some prior date. Yes. So as I was just talking about a stressful event that might have happened during a meal with a husband or a friend or whatever, and that when you go back to that same restaurant, for instance, you may have maybe unconscious stress around what had happened previously and not be aware of it. And so oftentimes I hear people talk about, and I mean really often, it was what they ate that caused their stomach to hurt. Mm-hmm. And it may actually be a pre-existing stress associated either with the restaurant or with a previous interaction. And I've found as I play around with my own eating, there's very little food that actually causes the reactions. It's mostly the emotional connection. I totally agree for, with my personal experience. For me, I discovered it wasn't necessarily what I was eating. It was the way I was eating it or what state I was in when I was eating it. Right. And, and I find that I had a pattern of eating compulsively. Mm. And when I realized it and changed the compulsion, that the food had a very different impact on my body. 100% me as well. And that is an interesting point that we are talking about on this aspect of it. And then there's, like you were saying in previous episodes, that chemicals and poisons and pesticides also send stress signals to the body, right? Well, imagine that you're a micro you're a microbe, you're sitting in the gut and some poison comes along. That's what are you gonna do with it? Yeah. You're not gonna digest it and eat it like Or you may digest it or you may transfer it in through the gut wall. I mean Mm. it's the whole environment. It's really an environment that last time I talked about how we are part of our greater environment. Our gut is really important. And our gut, to me, in in many ways, is the earth. I mean, I see our, you know, we talk about the earth and the planet, but I see our bodies as the earth that we live in, that our spirit or whatever inhabits. I've talked about it as a vehicle, but it's also our earth. Yeah. And so when we poison our own inner earth, you know, we're talking about climate change and poisoning the environment with plastics, etc. But we're poisoning our inner environment. And that's something over which you have some control. Absolutely. Well, and we're poisoning our inner environment with stress, whether that's through the form of poisonous food, like processed foods and chemicals and pesticides, or if that's through emotional, mental stress and eating in a state of stress. And that is something when you discover this, I know for me, it became so liberating to realize that, oh, wait a second, I don't have to live this way. I don't have to have chronic digestive issues. I can learn how to uh, regulate my nervous system and not be in a state of stress all the time over every little thing. And, And Rebecca, when you figured that out, when you started changing it, did you have feelings come up in the act of changing it? Like emotions that I were, yes. were not aware of before? Yes, I would say before. For me, I was more hyper aware of everyone else's emotions and not aware of my own. And then through the process of what we're talking about, I started feeling less overwhelmed by other emotions and became more aware of my own. And 
it was, I think, more grounding for me in some way because I wasn't overwhelmed by everyone else's as much anymore. If that makes any sense. But you were able to identify your own in a, yes. in a different way as you changed how you saw your gut. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I wasn't even aware that I had my own emotions before. I think I just was like an emotional chameleon taking on every everybody else's pain and stress and worry and not knowing what was mine and what wasn't. So I also wanted to just refer back. I just found this fascinating. Refer back to the Candy Pert episodes on Psyche that we just spoke of. And remember, she talked about, and you've brought it up since then, she talked about somebody who had a multiple personality and in one personality was an insulin-dependent diabetic, and when they switched over, was no longer an insulin-dependent diabetic. Mm, can you tell the story just again? There was a woman who had, Candy Pert talked about, who had a multiple personality disorder. And in multiple personality disorder, people will change their personality. They have a different name. They have a whole personality change. It can be a boy or a girl. It doesn't matter. It's a result of early trauma and a compensatory mechanism. She mentioned a woman who had a multiple personality disorder. And so they have distinct personalities that show up, particularly when they're stressed. And in one personality, this woman was an insulin-dependent diabetic. She required insulin because she had diabetes. And then when she changed into another personality, she no longer needed insulin and was not diabetic. Hmm. And that switch happens on a dime. It's part of the dysfunction. Hmm. There are gastroenterologists who've done studies now with what are called fecal transplants. And they have found that taking fecal transplants, they use fecal pellets containing a gut microbiome. So it's feces that has the gut microbiome in it from an extrovert mouse, which is a happy-go-lucky mouse, somebody who's more extroverted. And they transplant those fecal pellets from the extrovert. It can change the behavior of a timid mouse, making it behave more like the gregarious donor mouse. So when you do fecal transplants, you can have a whole personality change. Wow. And the same is true if stool and microbes from an overeating obese mouse are transplanted into a lean mouse. The lean mouse becomes an overeater. Wow. That's wild. Also, just as an example, the ingestion of a probiotic. So probiotics are supplements that add some of the microbes that we're missing. So the ingestion of a probiotic-enriched yogurt for four weeks in a healthy human female can reduce their brain's response to negative emotional stimuli in four weeks. Wow. So that's the power of the gut. Yes. And the impact of what we eat on it and on our state, on our emotional state, on our stress levels. And this is just an overview, but I want people to understand that they have power in the face of their stress levels, their mood levels, their levels of depression, that sort of thing. Yes. I think this information is so, it, it's life-changing. It really is. Because when you're stuck in that frustrated state of not knowing what else to do if you have this chronic gut issue and you're trying different foods and you're trying different things and you go through all these tests and you're still not getting anywhere to learn this this could be really important information i mean i've been through this myself so much of what we do is we look outside of ourselves mm -hmm. 
you know, the different kinds of food and the different supplements, and that's all well and good. However, to really look inside yourself and look at the stresses you're under and know that some of your gut dysfunction may come from childhood. Mm -hmm. It may come from how you ate as a child. It can come from having been on antibiotics. I know when I was a kid, I was on antibiotics all the time. That changes the flora in your gut. I've had friends say, oh, I'm an emotional eater. Okay, so what are you doing about it? Right. And you can do something about it, and you can have an impact. Absolutely. And it can be very difficult. I would consider myself a real sugar addict, and it's really hard to give that up. Well, symbolically, it's hard because sugar has a symbolic meaning in terms of why we ingest it. But also just physically, sugar is one of the most addictive products that there are. Mm -hmm. And think about the food. I think when I grew up and I, in the beginning, when I was really young, I didn't eat a lot of preserved foods, but... I think as a teenager and as in my 20s, that's what we ate. There were so many preservatives in all the food. Mm. And so even eating healthily, you can start somewhere. Absolutely. And by changing your gut, you're changing your mood, you're changing your entire physiology. Right. I think this episode is so wonderful because it gives so many, so many avenues that you can start somewhere. Like you just said, you can start somewhere by okay, realizing that maybe you're in a state of chronic stress a lot and you need to learn some ways to manage your stress and learn how to regulate your nervous system. Maybe you realize that you're ingesting a lot of processed foods filled with chemicals and maybe that's something that you can start to reduce or entertain the idea of changing to some whole foods. There's so many different ways you can go about this. Even recognizing that, hmm, maybe having a stressful conversation with my family at the dinner table is something to wait until we're done eating maybe focusing on creating a, a more peaceful environment around food, sitting down versus walking and eating on the go. There's so many different simple things you can do to create a powerful impact. And I know for myself and my personal experience, it really is an accumulation of tiny little things that can create a massive impact. And changing just one thing, like you said, eating yogurt for four weeks, who knows, that could make you feel better. And, and also something as simple as think about all the people you see who are eating while they're driving. Yes. How stressful is driving? So yes. knowing that that stress, that level of stress, you know, particularly on a freeway or something, is changing your gut microbiome and then you're adding food to it. It's just fascinating to me. You can't possibly, you can't win. Right. So you're already in a flight or fight mode because you're driving on the freeway and then you add eating to it. Your gut can't handle it. Yeah. And so that will impact not only your stress level, your ability to absorb nutrients or inability in that instance, and your mood. And in that mood change, you're adding to more stress. So you're setting up a feedback loop of stress. Yeah. And so I would love people to understand that when they use the word, I'm so stressed out, that impact particularly on their gut yes. and then the gut's impact on maintaining the stress depending on how you're eating. Mm -hmm. And I'd also like to, you know, I, I love to talk about language. And when I started on this journey around my own eating and gut and whatever, I changed the definition or the word from, you know, I don't use the word food so much. I use the word nourishment. Mm. Does this nourish me? Oh, beautiful. And nourishment happens on many levels. It happens physically, it happens emotionally, it happens mentally, spiritually. And so I love that word, does this nourish me? Mm. And I will say that about a relationship, does this nourish me? Mm. It's interesting, uh, just because I like to join different paradigms. 
this is going to be out in left field, but there's a man named Robert Kiyosaki who has written books about finance and economics, and his first book was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And he defined an asset and a liability. And I've spread that definition across the board. So an asset is something that feeds you, mm-hmm. and a liability is something that eats you. And in his arena, you know, he said owning a home is really not an asset. It's a liability because of all the money it eats, that sort of thing. But I see eating when you're driving as a liability. It's not an asset. It doesn't nourish you. It's eating you. You're not eating it. Yes, that's so powerful. So if nothing else, just keep that in mind. It, does, it, does this nourish me? And is it an asset or a liability? Does it feed me or does it eat me? When I'm stuffing my face with sugar, it's eating me. I'm mm-hmm. not eating it. Right. That's so, that's so beautiful. I love that. And I think that's, I had rewiring and changing the way that I would eat because I used to eat in a state of stress and emotionally eat and all of that stuff. Looking at it through that definition, eating was eating me. It was not nourishment. Even if I ate something that I really enjoyed, I, on the inside was a state of stress. And so it was not nourishing or there might've been a cognitive dissonance of, yeah, this is something that's delicious, but I shouldn't be eating it. It's bad. It's blah, 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 whatever that story was. So there'd be this angst within me. And now I think one of the ways that I've started to change that is call myself before I eat, get into a really good state. And now I'm going to introduce that question of of is this nourishing me and think about it as nourishment, but receiving that food, whatever it is, mind, body as nourishment. I love that. And just as an added point, if you were in a state where you realized that you were emotional eating and you had that realization, you could ask yourself, what's eating me? Mm-hmm just to get to the underlying cause of why you're stuffing your face. What's really eating me? That's the language that will take you somewhere else. Absolutely. That's so powerful. Thank you so much, Dana. This was an incredible episode. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, take a moment to subscribe to our show on Substack. There, you can have an opportunity to comment on this episode. And we would love to hear from you. Dana will personally respond to you and she'd love to hear your biggest takeaway from this episode. If you have questions, if you want to discuss, we would just love that. So be sure to subscribe on Substack. It's free. It's a wonderful way to connect and it's the best way to support this show. I would like to say that I'm thankful for you tuning in and I would love to hear feedback. If you could email me at transformationaltherapeutics at gmail.com and give me feedback on the podcast, perhaps suggest subjects that you would like me to cover in the future. And when I receive that feedback, I'd love to highlight and publicly thank whoever has sent it to me. I really enjoy sharing this with you. 